0: This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast.
1: Well, it's that time again. It's the pastor's round table. It is a round table. And around the round table is Pastor Bruss, Pastor Okri, and myself, Pastor Kearns. And today, we're going to be talking about John chapter 3.
0: We could begin, I think, by reading uh, the first chunk. And we, you know, we've had a debate here already about uh, where the actual... Direct discourse begins and ends and other things like that. Um, But another uh, fascinating thing is that as I'm looking at my Greek text here, really from John 2.23 all the way through John 3.21 is considered one paragraph. Now I notice in ESV there's a break between chapters 2 and chapters 3 in the text but uh, this goes to the sequential business that we've been talking about you know where does the the Nicodemus episode fit on a timeline the the temporal markers simply are not there it doesn't say that this occurred on this occasion when he was in Jerusalem on the passover as verse uh, 23 of chapter 2 says which would lend credit to this mosaic that
1: john slash the holy spirit are producing
0: right and and the, the point is you know we we can imagine it occurring on this occasion when jesus comes into town but it, it doesn't necessarily need to happen at that point in time
2: yeah and i would say you actually have a pretty clean thematic transition not a temporal one from 2 to 3 right starting at 224 but jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man, <laughs> and and it's interesting. Like here comes Nicodemus, kind of the prototypical man.
0: That is really good. I, I like that. It's not male human being. There are two words in Greek for man. One is anthropos, and the other one is um, aner. An aner is what we are male human beings and anthropos is what everybody male or female is and to to boil this down to the anthropic nature to the to the human nature that's what john is doing here he's not talking about men versus women or anything like that uh, or adulthood versus childhood he is talking about what an anthropos is what what a person is who bears the flesh that we bear
2: and I think if you look at that in light of the, the first miracle, the first sign being the prototypical sign, and now here comes the prototypical man, you can see that John is building uh, a, a very important picture here for us of Jesus is bringing something powerful to bear in the world uh, for the glory of God. and the proto, And then man encounters that, but it's a mixed bag because Jesus knows what's in man, and that's part of the reason why he is not just putting himself out there completely for man, because he knows how man will, in his sinful flesh, react to him. And we're getting a picture of that. And and so if you understand the Nicodemus episode, not just as, in the same way that you recognize the wedding at Cana, it's not just, hey, here's an episode, but here is a scene that is picturesque of a broader scene. And again, that mosaic tile is there, and then you pull out and you see it in play throughout John and it helps you ground yourself in this understanding.
0: I I love that. And so, you know, one of the things that readers always wanna do with a text is read themselves into it, right? So in this one, we need to read ourselves in as Nicodemus, who is an anthropos. Insofar as he is an anthropos, he is no different from you or from me. We can't receive the things of God unless they're revealed to us from above. By the Spirit. That's wonderful. I love that.
1: As both of you know, I'm doing a study on Genesis in hopes of one day teaching it to somebody. I might be uh, just here on the plucked chicken based upon uh, COVID restrictions. Regardless, Luther goes on and on talking about, and granted he's speculating, but he's talking about what Adam was like in his original righteousness state state of innocence before the fall. And he's talking about how, in one respect, he was able to look at an animal. When the Lord asked him to name the animals, he was able to essentially see how it functions. He didn't have to study and experiment and observe these different animals. Uh, You know, we have books today with all of this information in it, but it took lifetime to compile and to study. Adam being made in the image of God did not need to do that. Even when the Lord puts him to sleep and the Lord creates Eve, Adam awakes and he automatically knows kn- what this is. Knows the makeup of this of this woman mm. or whom he would later call woman. He knows what she is like. You think of the second Adam and you think of what Pastor Oakry just said that he knew this second Adam knew what was in man. Mm -hmm. It's a direct tie to the first Adam Mm -hmm. and what he was able to do being made in the image of God. And now you have the son of God who
0: knows what's in man. And he's also an anthropos, which is really great. Yeah, I love that. Well, why don't we uh, have somebody read us through, Uh, actually, why don't we take it all the way up to 15?
2: Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life.
1: Well, wow, this is a text that uh, the elephants drowned in right here. My goodness. So wonderful.
0: Uh, we, we've got so much woven in here. We've got the election of God, number one, God's choosing. Uh, we've got uh, the working of baptism, which also entails the idea that God uses things and means to work his redemption in human beings. Um, We've got this ambiguity, uh, this word anothen, um, the ESV translates it as again, born again. Uh, But, you know, in standard Greek, that really means born from above. And and frankly, part of the interesting confusion here on Nicodemus's part, uh, and the reason why we say born again, is because this is how Nicodemus thinks is the only way for this birth from above to happen, is a rebirth that's not what Jesus is saying. So why don't we, should we begin at the very start and sort of pull this stuff apart? Pastor Okri has already mentioned very helpfully that uh, Nicodemus is a prototypical uh, or just typical anthropos, a human being. And so, so we can um, sort of come into this text on the coattails of Nicodemus, as it were.
1: And as everybody likes to point out, he comes to Jesus by night, and we're assuming that he's under the cloak of darkness, he doesn't want to be, he wants to be associated with Jesus, but yet at the same time, he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus.
0: I'm thinking about the the other times that John points to night. Am I right in believing that the next time that we have an event at night, it's when Judas goes out?
2: It, well, it is interesting. I was thinking about Jesus walking on water. Evening came, and it was dark, but it doesn't actually say night in that context, which is important. So he's preserving perhaps that marker of night for something else. Even when events are happening at night, he's not using that word except for these special occasions.
1: Yeah. Uh, This goes back to what we had talked about previously. I mean, he calls him rabbi. I mean, he, he doesn't give him that title unless he actually had it, earned it, what have you.
0: Right. So Jesus is an ordained rabbi. Right. Recognized by everybody as such. Right. It's not just like some super smart carpenter. You know, and, and I think this is a problem in in American Christianity, and you would have certainly observed this, Pastor Kearns, that, um, you know, the teaching office in the church, and when I say the teaching office, I mean the preaching office, is bestowed, even in the time of Jesus, upon those who devoted themselves to the study of the word of God in a formal kind of way. Paul studied in the school of Gamaliel. Uh, That's why he was a rabbi why he had his creds, why he could get a letter from the, the the rulers in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and round up Christians, right? This is all part of that. And this whole idea that you can just sort of be elevated from, you know, your average everyday carpenter in Nazareth to being uh, the preacher because you really feel the Lord in your heart is is an American invention. Heart-uh. heart lord heart-a. in lord your heart-uh.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, there is an anti-intellectualism that is rampant in evangelical circles. You know, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a dozen times. Why, why do I need to go to seminary? Jesus' disciples didn't go to seminary. Jesus didn't go to seminary. I mean, this is uh, a trope that one would make so as to justify grandma always said i would be a good preacher
2: right and yet we and, don't hear uh, the disciples preach until they're graduated by christ right. and, and appointed to do it right, right. They, they have a little vicarage they do he sends right them the out. 72 yeah yeah, a vicarage. yeah 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 and they could they, they come back and learn some more mm-hmm. but he he holds him he holds the reins on them tight until they're ready and to to act like what he was doing with the disciples wasn't seminary It looks very much like it (laughs) a a drawn-out educational process.
0: Yeah Uh, So so just as Paul was educated in the school of Gamaliel The twelve were educated in the school of Yesus ben Yosef from Nazareth. So that's a great point I think um, that there is this recognition on Nicodemus's part And we find out later that Nicodemus is is a pharisee That that's interesting too. Um, We find out right here. You're correct we find out right there. <laughs> we find out here. We find right out later there. that he's in the Sanhedrin. Correct. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yep. Real quick, not to jump on you too much, but uh, he does become kind of... He rises. He comes up in three places. He is kind of a significant market, especially if we see him as this prototypical uh, man. He rises up in three places, and he starts to find his voice of faith throughout the book of John. And it's, it's interesting. I always... Nicodemus and Thomas are these two kind of unique voices in the book of John, and they pop up now and again. Nicodemus is this prototypical person who's coming from a skittish faith that wants to come at night to finally being able to say, look, I'm going to risk something for this man and and this faith that I have in him. Thomas is just like the voice of the disciples. Oh, He's always asking questions. Uh, no, we don't know where you're going, Lord. We're we're kind of dumb, <laughs> right. right? And I, I I kind of appreciate Thomas for being that voice that the other ones were too scared to say anything. But Thomas is always like, "Nope, don't get it. Can you help us out here a little bit more, Jesus?" Right. That's good.
1: So, so we find out that Nicodemus is a
0: member of the Sanhedrin.
2: Yes, when they're yes. plotting his it's, death,
0: and even here, uh, he is he he is uh, among the rulers of the Jews, right? Um, Archon ton yudaion. Uh, and so that that places him even here without saying Sanhedrin among the among the, those that group.
1: So would you say then
2: that he's bisectual? <laughs>
0: That's I think some, some of
2: the Pharisees yeah. were in the Sanhedrin. That you didn't have to be a Sadducee to be in the Sanhedrin.
0: No, they were split, and Paul uses that split later in Acts to to get his appeal to yeah. Caesar. I was thinking about this uh, when you were talking about night earlier on and saying, you know, this special marker. Well, there's there's almost this chiasmus then. Um, so you've got night at this point in chapter 3, and you've got night uh, with Judas uh, in the passion narrative. Next ring out is Jesus' proclamation. Um, let's go into John chapter 2 of his death and resurrection. And, of course, it's his death and resurrection after his birth betrayal by Judas. Then you go to the outermost ring, and it's this proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God. No one has ever seen God before, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. This one has made him known. And at the end of the resurrection, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so you've got this kind of onion thing going on here in the gospel according to St. John.
2: You're doing every seminary professor proud by bringing up a chiasm. A chi- the, the chi in Greek is an X, right? So it's a it brings you in and then it brings you back out again. And uh, theologians and exegetes love their chiasms.
0: So it's a pattern uh, yeah. of, of themes or speech or word placement where it's like A, B, B1, A1.
1: Whereas today we just italicize, underline, or put it in bold. (laughs) If we want to highlight something, they
0: didn't have that, so they wrote it in a chiasm. Much more artful Mm. in a way, too. So Nicodemus recognizes some things about Jesus, doesn't he? His statement in verse 2, which is actually a really long verse, uh, no one can do the signs that you're doing unless he's from God or unless God is with him. Was this an attempt at flattery?
2: Because Jesus just kind of ignores what he says and says, "Well, now you're here, Nicodemus, and I'm going to drop a, kind of a, some challenging stuff on you. You've come here, and you don't even know why you're here. I mean, I think that's that, that's that's what the the problem with Nicodemus. You're here, but you don't know why. Uh, and and the best thing you can think you can do is just tell me what's brought you here. You're like, man, you're doing some stuff that's just beyond my ken." and
0: looks and so, pretty important to me yeah yeah until
2: so, but i who knows right and and i don't want to be changed but it's kind of the thing right you don't want to be changed by it and he's like you have to be changed by it and that's what he's going to confront him with
0: and and he calls them signs right uh, so we talked. we've talked about signs nicodemus recognizes that whatever jesus is doing those deeds are pointing they're signs they're and um and so Jesus, I think, what he's really gonna do is he's gonna he's gonna drive him to the heart of what that sign is. Yeah. What these signs are. What does it mean for you, Nicodemus?
2: How much hay do you make of the truly truly? It c- it comes up quite a bit, and so it's 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 sometimes hard to make too much of it. If it was almost scanter, you'd almost like it more. But he does bring it to bear and and, and maybe it is a marker of like, we're done with signs, we're getting to the truth, and the truth can only be communicated through preaching.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is full of grace and truth. It's interesting that when he says, in John at least, when he says truly, truly, he says, "Amen, amen," right? "Amen, amen." He takes the Hebrew term uh, and invests it. I, I think that invests it with a certain authority.
1: Oh yeah, I would uh, echo that completely by saying typically what happens is when you speak a word of truth, it is the person who hears it who says, that's true. I mean, I mean, Jesus does not wait on the hearers to determine what is truth or not. He tells you from the get-go, what I'm telling you
0: is the truth. Truly, truly. This is good. And, and these articulations, when you think of the prophetic utterances, emeth, right? This is the emeth. Um, and God's word stands forever. Again, the word amin is used there. That's, it's, a, it's a form of the word amin, the standing. And so this is Jesus actually in a, very, in a way that, that we potentially today don't recognize claiming to be God. Who's the only one who can do this? Because he's speaking a word that can't be broken, that stands forever. That and and the only person who can speak such a word is God Himself. I, I love I love your point about Him laying claim to this at the very get go,
1: and it's, not having to wait on you to oh, determine that's a, if He's saying true, Dad, Jesus, or not. yeah, right. yeah, or somebody saying, eh, I don't know about that, Jesus,
2: right, or discounting it completely. I think there's also an encouragement here with Nicodemus and for us to search scripture. He's and what he's saying is, I'm not saying anything new, and you see that later. He's like, Why don't you get this, Nicodemus? You know the Bible, mm-hmm. right? You you dare to teach God's people. Um, you should know this. Which means that he's like, I'm this is not me saying something out of the blue. This is flowing thoroughly and completely out of scripture, which would be the old testament, right? He's like, I'm not saying anything that is against Scripture. I'm saying everything that is the fulfillment of Scripture. And so he should be able to see it because he knows Scripture so well. And this is an invitation, then whenever we see that truly, truly marker, I would say it's an invitation for us to search the Scriptures, the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and see those connections. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. And, and this goes to a point that Pastor Kearns likes to make an awful lot, and it's a, it's a very good one, that you can know the Scriptures inside and out, chapter and verse, and still not really put the pieces together in the right way. So this would have been Nicodemus.
1: Well, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Nicodemus is a, a perfect example of that. I wanted to elaborate a little bit more on what you said, Pastor Oakree. when Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? What a slash! You've got all these degrees, and you don't even know the simplest thing what the Bible's been yeah.
2: teaching you. you saying, spent your whole <laughs> life looking for these things yeah. and they're right here we're not both rabbis <laughs> i am the true rabbi and you need you have a lot to learn from me right yeah and that's that had to have been a very a very humiliating thing for nicodemus to
1: but hear. he stood there and he took it and uh kept Amen. asking and and kept listening so much so as we all know you know nicodemus is right there to take jesus off the cross here you've got the the high sabbath and here's Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, if not the teacher of Israel. And he's touching a dead body. I mean, he's defiling himself completely, but completely now, not in the night, coming to Jesus, identifying with him for all to see.
0: That's great. That's a really good, a, a really good um, denouement to the Nicodemus story. I want to sort of tack into what you just have been talking about. By pointing out that Jesus says, Amen, amen, I say to you, singular. So we've got this Anthropos, singular Anthropos, single man. Now Jesus is saying directly to Nicodemus, nobody else. But you and I have been written into this as the Anthropos. In us reading this at this point in time, the you becomes everybody who's hearing who's hearing these these words read truly truly i say to you now what this means as this, as the whole thing with nicodemus goes on right nicodemus has the patience or whatever uh, the gift the lord has given him the gift to listen to the words of jesus and wrestle with them and even when it's deeply insulting to nicodemus you're the teacher of of Israel and you don't know what you're talking about? And what does this lead to on Nicodemus's part? It obviously leads to repentance. This is not just like, oh, you know, um, I, I used to like to watch porn and I'm gonna stop watching porn now, Jesus. This is, I am throwing out everything that I ever was, recognizing it all as completely diametrically opposed to the salvation that you wanna give uh, in, in your own blood and for that salvation, I'm leaving it all behind, regardless of where that goes. Mm-hmm. Right? I will take your dead body off the cross on the high Sabbath, yeah. defiling myself. What What happens here that's so wonderful is that is that we get in Nicodemus an enactment, if you will, of what Saint Paul talks about in Romans chapter six, that through our baptism into the death of Jesus, we're drowned and die. And that we're, through our baptism into Jesus, we're made alive again. And this is, as Luther points out, you know, what does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam and should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die. And that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. In other words, I I think what we're seeing is a baptismal enactment with Nicodemus. Oh, sure. And it's real repentance. But the sad thing is, is that your
1: typical sacramentarian, evangelical reader, I mean, what has he been taught when it comes to water and the Spirit?
0: The amniotic fluid is the water, and the Spirit is 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 your... Spiritual rebirth. Decision. Yeah, yeah your decision for Christ. Isn't that awful? It is awful. And and actually, there's so much that, that just completely in the text undercuts all of that sort of thinking.
1: But it, the only reason that that is proposed is because nicodemus comes up with this and i can't i don't know where to put what he says i mean is it absolutely absurd what he says can i enter into my mother's womb a second time or is he
2: really processing here i, I think he's, legitimately i think he's processing and he's trying to and he's trying to figure out as we all do in our human flesh what do I have to do to make this work? Do I have to climb, climb back into my mother's womb? And of course, that's a preposterous notion. But he's saying that's the closest I can come to what I can do. And of course, Jesus is like, no, you can't do anything. You can't climb back in your mother's womb. And you and as and, and as much as you weren't responsible for your first birth through your mother, you can't you can't claim control of this birth, which is the American Christian way. I couldn't control my first birth, but I am I have the steering wheel for this birth To take that notion of birth and twist it into a pretzel like that You you can see what shaky ground you're standing on or no ground at all
0: Yeah, so that passivity in the in the birth in the birthing right right Um, Unless somebody is born from above and I let's focus on that word So we we talked about this is verse 3 unless somebody is born from above the ESV thankfully gives it as a footnote at least they acknowledge that's a that's a a legitimate way of understanding the text but american christianity has simply said no this is unless somebody is born again and then then what they've done is they've packed all of the notions of born again into into this verse Which is make your decision for Christ, and then show after it's all said and done that I'm on Jesus' side by getting baptized. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: That's a reading diametrically opposed to this. Um, As little as a child can choose its moment of birth, so little, does Jesus say, can a person choose to be born from above.
2: Which is reinforced later on when he says, uh, you you can hear the sound of the wind, but uh, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You don't control this. You don't control the coming of the spirit and 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 so how do you, how can you think that you control the spirit birth that he's talking about if you can't control the spirit it just comes as it as it wishes to come what on earth makes you think that you can control it and yet we still plant our flag and say god's doing 99.9
0: percent, but i got my 0.1 mm-hmm. now i do think it's important to say that the mystery isn't isn't that God uses something to bring about the new birth, namely baptism. That's not what the mystery is. The mystery is how baptism even got into your life. That's what he's talking about. Uh, you know, the wind blows and and, and you, you, you hear it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Well, how in the world is it that I happen to be born to Lutheran parents and that in America, of all the places, and— that I happen to have been brought to the font on the 17th of September, 1967. I mean, how in the world did this happen? It's it's just, I don't get it, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen, and it doesn't mean that the Spirit wasn't at work at, in in that baptism. And this is the case for everybody who's been baptized. The Spirit has entered their life through the water of baptism. This to me, prevents us from engaging in the theodicy question. Why some and not others, right? Why, 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 why are pygmies um, who've never heard the gospel going to hell? It's not for us to figure out.
2: And I love the, the wind, because it's almost like during the baptism, maybe there should be some wind blowing or something through the church. But there actually is, because as an infant, your, your, your parents are giving word with their breath to the faith that brought them to this font. Uh, the wind is blowing where it wills, but it does blow with purpose to a place, mm. and that's important to recognize here too. That the that it's it's not blowing us willy nilly. We're not the chaff blown on the wind. That's a that's a bad thing. It's a wind driving us to the font. It's driving us to the altar. It's driving us to the pulpit. Your parents were driven there. My parents were driven there, and I've been driven. There. We've been driven there with our kids. And what a wonderful thing that is. And and it all seems kind of happenstantial to us, but God sitting back and saying. The, uh, you don't know how the wind blows, but I sure do. <laughs> right. Yeah, and yep. it, and it's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. So Nicodemus misunderstands what it means to be born from above, and so in verse four there are two ways to speak back to somebody. You can speak back to him in Greek just in the dative, or you can speak back to them with pros plus the accusative. So Nicodemus speaks with pros plus accusative. This is there's some amount of aggression in his response. Uh, back to Jesus, so he he's kind of sauntered up to Jesus and tried to at least be friendly to him. And we we recognize that you're a teacher come from God, and then Jesus drops this bomb on him. He doesn't know what to do with it, and so he comes back swinging, uh, saying, "Are you kidding? How can a man be born when he's old?" Again, the word is anthropos, and this is where we get where where the um, evangelicals interpret. Um, the It's, it's Nicodemus' misreading of what Jesus has said that leads to their born-again theology. He can't climb back into his mother's womb a second time and be born. That's being reborn. What Jesus is talking about is two entirely different kinds of births that are not analogous in, in virtually any way except for that we call them birth. So the first birth is the fleshly birth you're an anthropos Mm -hmm. the second birth is the birth from above pneumaticos pneumaticos yeah exactly from the spirit so jesus's response is wonderful um, in verse five and he he does say he does clarify things for nicodemus uh, and you just said it it's a pneumatic birth so where does this birth from above come from how is one born from above water and spirit. Water and spirit.
2: And and we already know, again, you could playing these games with ambientic fluid here. That's clearly not what they're talking about. They know what baptism is. John's been doing this baptism. It's 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 a part of their life that they recognize and identify. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean it's it's not like he's dropping a b- baptismal bomb here that is completely alien to him nothing is here should be alien to right. him
0: but what jesus yeah he's yeah. like oh no i know what baptism is yep.
2: yeah that that repentance stuff that's happening out in the wilderness or in and maybe even closer to home honestly i mean we just we're not sure how pervasive this baptism is but you know he says you have to be born of water and in that water comes the spirit uh, and so he's he's putting something on baptism that's really maybe nothing more than what it is a baptism of repentance is a baptism of faith um, but he's saying like the spirit is the one driving all of that you think you can repent on your own will the spirit's driving that do you think you can trust in god of your own will the spirit's driving that and you know recognizing like the spirit has the driver's seat in all of this
0: this is a fancy term but i just don't know another word for it hendiades uh, where you give expression to one thing by two terms and that's what we have here uh, unless one is born of water and the spirit it's not that there is a water birth and then a spirit birth or a spirit birth and a water birth as separate things it's water and the spirit like it, salt and pepper peanut butter and jelly yes perfect and and if there's one thing we've we've been you know you learn
2: about greek is it's not as sloppy in its form as english can be in English, there can be ambiguity. Is he talking about one birth of water? One birth? They would make it much clearer if they were talking about two distinct things, right? Birth of water and then birth of spirit or but, something like that.
0: And, and, and frankly, you know, even contextually, even if you wanted to go that route, the context here says, no, that's not the question Jesus is answering. Jesus is answering Nicodemus' question, how in the world does this birth from above happen? Water and spirit.
1: Isn't it interesting how good table manners are? If you requested me to pass you the salt, i give them both to you, salt and pepper. Correct. <laughs> so they stay together. Yep. Just like what you're talking
2: about here with water and spirit. Yes. That's its own term. Is that a, is that a form of Fendiades, or that's its own kind of special
0: term? Salt and pe- no, that's, that's... Where you return to, if you refer no. to the
2: wine, you're including the bread and vice versa.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, so that that's metonymy. Yeah, there yep. you go. Or synecdoche. Right. synecdoche. Synecdoche, yeah, that's right. Yep.
1: So you said that there are two ways to respond when Nicodemus then
0: asks his next question. Is that a softer response? It's way softer. So Jesus has now explained it, and he said, look, Nicodemus, this is, this is like your, your first birth. It happens, and you don't have any control over it. Uh, and the way it happens is by water and spirit, and the spirit— blows wherever it wants to. And so now Nicodemus is softer in verse nine. Is that where you're looking? Yeah. Nicodemus responded and said to him, uh, this is way softer. How can these things happen? So he's been in a very short time. Every preacher wishes he could have this, uh, (laughs) with his words, uh, brought to repentance. And actually this is the first question of faith. Jesus, you've got the words of eternal life. Tell me how this happens.
1: I'm glad that you said that we are supposed to identify with what uh, Nicodemus says, and the, the you there is us, because I can clearly identify with this in that you've spent the bulk of your life learning something a certain way, and you realize that's all wrong. And you've actually been a teacher, not of Israel, but of your little... Uh, you know, your little place where you hang out your shingle, you're, you're a teacher, and you've been teaching wrong. It's all wrong. And you, you come to the point where you even say, uh, you know, you wrestle with, with the truth, and you push against it quite hard, and then when you're tired of, of fighting like Jacob of old, you say, I, how can these things be? To, to think that he spent his entire
2: life and yet he's missed it. Yeah. But there's this pain here too, right? He's saying, he's saying, and this is echoing John 1, right? I, I bore witness to what I've seen. I, I speak of what I know. It's not speculation. It's not games. I know this. This is the truth. This this is why I say truly, truly to you. And we bear witness to it. I'm telling you what I've seen, what I know, but you do not receive our testimony. He's recognizing that even in this moment of surrender, there's still, his heart is still split. I don't want to give up on the false walls that i've built uh, the idols of my heart and the idols of his heart aren't baal or asherah the idols of his heart are the law are his his obedience to god and he's saying look you don't got it (laughs) and man i mean he's i think as preachers we're always tempted to like okay it's time to relent (laughs) and jesus is like i'm going i'm going full in because this man has to die Mm -hmm. and it's glorious." Uh, but it's also, it's it like makes me cringe as a pastor because I'm like, boy, when I see somebody hurting, I want to comfort them. And, and Jesus, is like, nope, you're not dead enough yet. <laughs> and he just goes full throttle at him.
1: And that takes us back to verse 25 of chapter 2, where he himself knew what was in man. He's able to see what's going on here with Nicodemus. I mean, he even says, if I have told you earthly things and you don't believe it, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He already knows that Nicodemus isn't picking up what Jesus is laying down, not fully, not
0: completely. In connection with that verse that you just read, Jesus switches here in in a very interesting way uh, to the plural in verses 11 and 12. Truly, truly I, singular, say to you, singular, that what we, plural, have seen, we speak, plural. Plural. And what we have seen, we bear witness to, plural, plural. And you do not receive our plural. You plural do not receive our plural witness. Isn't that interesting? So suddenly we've switched out of the the singular business to to the plural, which refers to the Pharisees at large, or maybe humanity at large.
2: Yeah, and I think both. Is, and, yes, and, and, right. And is he putting himself in the? I, I, the we here is probably not triune we but maybe in the line of the prophets we the the witness the the ongoing witness of the word which he which he of course is the the final and full fulfillment of right but is i i think the we here is is the prophets because he's saying i'm not saying anything new to you the the testimony's been there the whole time they've borne witness to what they've seen because i mean isaiah saw some stuff right uh, ezekiel saw some stuff god let him see that, but Jesus has seen
0: it in its fullness. I really like that reading, uh, taking Jesus as one of the prophets here. Uh and then and then he caps it off, you're saying in verse thirteen by saying, Not only am I one of the prophets, I am the the Navi Kamoni. The, I'm the, the one the prophets like have me. been talking about exactly. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse thirteen is a wonderful Christological passage. Look at the order. I mean, what we would expect to be said here is that nobody has descended from heaven except for the one who will ascend to heaven. But here it is, nobody has ascended into heaven except for the one who has descended from heaven. It it
2: starts with God and... And he has to come down before he ascends. And, but we, we, we preach it a whole different right? I way. Always, I always say like the difference between Mormons and actual Christians is that uh, they, they preach Jesus as a man who became God. And, and this doesn't make any sense in that context. We preach Jesus as God who became man,
0: which is exactly
2: what he's proclaiming here.
0: Right. And the fullness of his divinity is seen. Uh, that the one who has descended yeah. is Simultaneously, in heaven, because he is omnipresent God,
2: and I and I would think uh, I we are free to disagree on this slightly because it is a little mysterious. But I, I think this is a backdoor reference again to the to the Jacob's ladder, and and this is part, I'm so glad yep. you said that. I was yep. thinking the same thing. Keep going, because again, Jesus at the top of the ladder now descended to the bottom, but he will go back up it. But we're not the ones climbing it one way or the other. Right. Right. Uh, or when we ascend, we are more like swept up with him to it.
0: But, but, but I want to press even harder. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, you got the temporality wrong in that. Okay. It's not that he's going to go back up. It's that he has already. The one who has descended has also ascended. And that's something. Okay. Yeah. And so he uniquely can speak of heavenly things.
2: And he's not just remembering them from a the past. He's actually
0: like, nope, they're there, right,
2: right in his presence, because he is still the divine
0: son. At the right hand of the Father.
1: And this Tessera actually takes us back to when Jesus was speaking with Nathaniel. They were
0: speaking about the exact same Jacob's ladder. Okay, so this is this is now starting to really come together in a great way. Can Who, we, by the way, before you start. Nathaniel called Jesus Rabbi too. He did, didn't he? Go back to John 1:18. Nobody has ever seen God before the monogenēs, right? The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father. This one has made him known. So Jesus becomes this flashpoint and constantly is the flashpoint of revelation of the Father's heart and will toward the world. And we find out what that is in verse fourteen. The serpent in the wilderness. Indeed.
2: Which is uh you know, it's it's such a fascinating piece because it's it's it almost gets I mean, if it weren't for this, that would almost be kind of a buried little account in scripture.
0: You know what? It's a super short account. If you if you were to look this up in Deuteronomy, it's like three or four verses long. It doesn't seem like it's a big deal. And John He blows it up. It it is a huge deal. Well, it's
1: fascinating how uh, after Christ's resurrection before his ascension, with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it is clearly a much broader Bible study that he gives these men. Here, he only gives Nicodemus this one reference. I mean, he could have clearly given more, but it's just that one. What do you make of that? Well, you're not going to like what I make of it. I like to think that just like Nathaniel was reading his pericope and his devotion here, and the Lord spoke of it, we already know that there's not a time stamp here. We already talked about that. It's a different mosaic. What was the pericope reading for that day? Why would I not like that? I love that. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it's speculating. I mean, yeah, well, it, but, it. but but... To think that the Jewish, the pious Jewish man, is steeped in God's word, so much so that he's reading it at the at the synagogue, he's reading it for his his morning and evening prayers,
0: according to an order, according to an order that, was, that exactly. everybody knew exactly. Every Jew is reading this passage, and right so now. yeah,
1: so Jesus just—I mean—talk about exploding Nicodemus's world. Not not only with everything he said thus far, but Jesus would have read. The same passage that day, too, regarding uh, Moses raising the, the serpent in the wilderness. And Jesus says, oh, by the, by the way, just want to clue you in. Yeah. See, seeing how I'm the rabbi, and you're the teacher of Israel, in scare quotes. And you just taught this right. in
2: synagogue. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, well, and, and, and the, taught it wrong. And taught it wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's interesting how this imagery um, of the serpent, I mean, you understand it flows out of this, but... Reformation artist, Cranach, especially, loves this imagery of the the serpent of the world. It's often a background scene in Reflection of Christ. Uh, I mean we have the the painting of the uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be nice to Pastor Bruss the the Weimar altarpiece. Dankeschön. <laughs> There's still a w in there though <laughs> uh, and uh, and but in his long gospel uh, paintings too it's mm-hmm. it's there and and it's 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 incredible. I mean, it's like everything you needed was there, Nicodemus. Uh, and it was even in this tiny little account. And it's and, and what he's saying is it's not it's not hidden, it's not in code. Right. I hate I hate people when they encode the scripture, you know. Well, take the first letter of all these people's names and you'll figure out something profound. No. <laughs> it's right there, smacking you in the face. God's not God's not hiding it. He's like just slapping us around. The only reason we don't see it is because of our sin. And so, and, and he's saying, even in this tiny little account, and think about how profound it is that one, th- these fiery little serpents are there. I guess you can make some hay out of the fact that they're serpents, but also the fact that the, the emblem that they look to to save them looks like the thing that is afflicting them. And they look on Jesus, who is the sin bearer. He, he doesn't look, he doesn't look different. From right? us. From us. We're our own problem. Right. He says, I don't look different from you. I need to be you. And the serpent
0: is teaching us that. Good, and the anthropic nature, the, the, the human nature of Jesus has played up big time here. Uh, so look at the end of verse 13, right? Nobody has ascended into heaven except for the one who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, thus must the son of man be lifted up in order that everybody who believes in him might have eternal life. Right. And,
2: and, and it's nice too. He's saying the lifting up here is the profounder lifting up. It's not just to save you from some fiery poison in a moment. It's to spare you from everything that afflicts you.
0: Good. I, I actually really loved what you said earlier about the serpents are the affliction and the serpent becomes the solution. Man is the problem. Man is the affliction and man is the problem solver. the god man
2: but you also think like as satan looks at jesus on the cross he thinks he's 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 seeing a new and better fall he think he he's even fooled by it the fall is happening again the serpent is winning again and jesus is like you're so dumb satan god told you god told you that this was going to happen. And you're just like, don't you know? And this is why Luther's always so good. He's like, just make fun of Satan, because he's really dumb.
1: (laughs) I like to imagine Nicodemus just going home after this, laying down, and just, like, he can't get this out of his mind. We already know he's not going to go back to his Pharisee buddies and discuss it. Not at this point. It's too much for him. I mean, he really goes home and... Like Jacob of old
0: wrestles with what? What is being told him? You'd, you'd have to think he this had a profound effect on him, exactly. And we know that it did later, right? Exactly. But, but what 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 ensued this night? Good speculation. Yeah. This word that Jesus uses in verse fourteen for what happens uh, to the snake and to the Son of Man uh, is the the word in Greek is hypsao. Oh, it means to. So like when we say glory to God in the highest, it's, it's um, in the highest is enhupsistois. So it's a glorification word. So to hupsa'o somebody is to elevate them also in the sense of uh, in esteem. And so you you see the cross here starting to shade off toward glory already in, in John chapter three. And ultimately it, it becomes fully imbued with glory. The pinnacle of glory in John's gospel, we just must emphasize this over and over again, is not the resurrection. It's the crucifixion of the Son of God.
1: And to bolster what you just said, Pastor Bross, and what Jesus just said to Nicodemus, I mean, we come to verse 16. And in my Bible, the letters are read, beginning in verse 16 to verse 21, as if of course jesus is saying it i'm not of that camp i i think john breaks in and begins to elaborate upon this i like that for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil, kind of like Nicodemus coming at night. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, Lest his deeds should be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God.
0: This is a wonderful law and gospel discourse or uh, whatever whatever we want to call it commentary by John on, on what's what's being said here. And law and gospel really, that rhythm, uh, those two messages lie at the. at the heart of understanding the scriptures. So to hear some of these things as law when they're actually gospel or to hear them as gospel when they're actually law is to get the entire message of Christianity sort of turned around in your head. So we've already seen Jesus has established in the early part of chapter 3 that faith, uh, that, that seeing the kingdom of God, that entering the kingdom of God is a gift from above. There's nothing you can do about it. As little as you can control your birth, so little can you control your birth from above. So in other words, it's not like you can make a decision. These, these words here are not for you to make a decision like, oh, man, I'd better run to the light. I better believe in him.
2: Right. Because that's, how, cause that's gonna make this, what makes this work. I, I guess I'm so immersed in Lutheranism. I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine you reading 316 as, as law. But of course, so many people do. I bet I better get get on that believe in train and of course we've talked about this How does how does one believe you? You cannot make yourself believe something you don't believe you can't make yourself not believe something you believe is true You have to be acted on Externally, right? You have to be persuaded and this whole idea that I control that You know, it's not true.
0: You can't make yourself believe things that you know are not true in your being Yeah, and we could probably even take uh, contemporary public affairs as the great example you know if you if you're convinced that the coronavirus is a hoax or if you're convinced that masks aren't going to do anything no no one's going to change your mind and and so our conviction as sinners is that we must live a certain way act a certain way to please god uh, th- this is our conviction and so that's what we do um we we treat God as a, as a kind of object to be satisfied. And, and it's completely inconceivable to us that salvation comes not by our effort, but purely as gift from God.
1: The reason that is, not only, as Pastor Oakley said earlier, by our fallenness, but everything else that we do or are engaged in is the exact opposite of that passivity. I mean, you get the letter jacket based upon working hard on the football team. You get the paycheck based upon the hours you put in at work.
0: I mean, it just goes on and on and on. That's really good. And the fact of the matter is we live in a law world. And as we obey the laws here on this plane, on this horizontal plane, yeah, there are rewards that come with that. And that's how the Lord designed it. He designed this world to operate that way. We don't get to be CEO of a company by grace. We get to be CEO of a company by proving our value.
2: But but now, but now think about how, how baked this was even into creation. Six days shall you work, but on the seventh you shall rest. And we just ignore that, yes, everything else in this world is about work. Adam was meant to work. Eve was meant to work. And he gave them a day of rest, of receiving. You're not achieving, you're receiving. Boy, I, 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 that...
0: There's a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is that, that this is hardwired into us, and, and the human mistake, I mean, there's so many ways in which our fallen nature impacts how we view God. This is one of them, that we read from the, the elements of the world and the way those things operate, our relationship with God.
1: Right. I mean, this is exactly what Luther says as a result of the fall. We don't know who God is, we don't know what grace is, we don't know what sin is, and we
0: don't know what righteousness is. And so, uh, we take the categories, all those categories, and we pack them with meaning from our own, ex- our own fallen experience.
1: Right. But then he also goes on and says, if you don't see how devastating the disease is, I think he calls it leprosy,
2: you won't appreciate the cure. Which you understand, like if you, tell a, if you tell a person without telling them they have cancer that they have to take something that'll make them sick to get better, they would be like, no thanks. <laughs> we understand that, uh, but somehow we think, oh no, God should just tell me what's... And, and we even see this with Nicodemus, right? He's withholding himself. I can't give you heavenly stuff yet because you're not ready for it. Uh, you're still struggling with the earthly stuff. Uh, you're, you, we got to get your house in order kind of at this level before we can boost you up to the next level and and again that isn't to like create a two-tier christianity or something silly like that it's just saying we get so immersed in our earthly way of thinking that we think okay i like what you're saying jesus but i can't let this thing or this that thing go uh that we have to kind of just he has to come and just knock things down
0: for us uh the word used here in verse 19 this is the judgment right this is the crisis the the Really the crisis, the, 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 the distinguishing point, the thing that separates everything in the whole wide world, that the light came into the world and, and men loved uh, the darkness rather than the light. So here, it, it, you know, this goes to your two, um, your two countries, right? Or your... Cities. Two cities uh, in Augustine. This is just the way the world is. Not everybody's a Christian not everybody's nor is everybody
2: going to hell but it's nice because nicodemus is in the dark but he will be drawn
0: into the light and and so it's it's still hopeful why and it's be, it's through the preaching of the law it's just Amen. this pounding of the law you right. you don't get this you are in the dark you're one of these men who don't understand boom 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 yeah. you can't give the gospel until somebody has yeah. been p- killed yeah And it's
2: not like the gospel isn't interwoven in this. He's just like, you're not going to appreciate this gospel until you have been killed. So speaking of that, why don't we go through
1: the passage? I know it's difficult to... I mean, some verses in and of themselves, by themselves, are both law and gospel.
0: So where do you want to start? Should we start at John 3.16? Yeah. And go uh, go all the way through 21? Yeah. Okay, so uh, I'll I'll read John 3.16. Um, and stop, and then we'll have, you know, we'll label law gospel, okay? For God uh, loved the world in this way, that he gave his only begotten, in order that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. Sounds like gospel to me. Generally speaking, is there any law in here? There, there is some backdoor law here. Which yeah, is, which is. is the threat of perishing. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's where the law, the law comes through.
2: And and we kind of skip past that because we're like, well, I just want the eternal life, so we're going to just ignore that perishing part. But again, the fear and love of God, we we can't just put aside the fear for the love, because uh, God is righteously wrathful against sin.
1: Before we move on to the next verse, though, Pastor Bruss, I just wanted to point out, evangelicals, uh, boy, they love them some John ten ten where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and either A, have it to the full or have it abundantly. And they don't realize that it's talking about eternal life there. It's not talking about having uh, you know, this, that, or the other in this worldly
0: existence, but that's how they interpret it. And, and, and you're connecting that then with... Um, Sixteen. With 16, the very uh, last phrase, right? But that he may have eternal life. Right. That's the abundant life. Correct. Mm. That's the full life. You mean my best life isn't now?
2: No, no, no. no. You you mean I pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly?
1: Right. Wow. Okay. Because this this is the only hell that you'll ever know. Ooh, I like that.
2: I, I do like that. Although... Again, you don't want to take that to an extreme of dismissing the blessings of this life,
1: or the vocations that God's called us of to. Of course, yeah. of course,
2: there is good in this world, but that's some of that's part of what makes this life even extra suffering. It's not that we experience nothing but bad things, but that the good things we we experience are fleeting. And believe me, I mean you you learn that, and you go talk to a a ninety year old widow in the in the nursing home, and she'll tell you about all the fleeting blessings of this life. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and this is the message of Ecclesiastes, where after 12 chapters or what have you, uh, Solomon finally says, look, it it is just, as you say, Pastor Ogree, I mean, it, it's all fleeting. It is vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. And the thing that you need to do is fear God
0: and keep his commandments. If only. I mean, that that's, that is wonderful wisdom, isn't it? So 17, for God... Did not send the Son into the world in order that he judged the world, but in order that the world be saved through him. Gospel. So that
2: is the same judgment that's being referred to later. He's not coming with the purpose of judgment, but a judgment will happen. Right. But this does kind of torpedo, Doesn't kind of, it, it torpedoes the the Reformed Calvinist idea that God's condemnation is as equally important to god as his salvation Jesus did not come with the purpose of damning people. He did not come with the purpose that some would not be with him He came wanting to gather them all to him And it it breaks my heart that there's people that think that god is glorified by people being damned to hell Because scripture speaks against it so
0: completely Right and and the the word used here, right? So in order that the world might be saved through him. It's not the 52% that God wants. Yeah, not, not world here doesn't mean believers. Right. Which is, which is the linguistic game that Calvinists play. They have to play. 18. The one who believes in him is not judged. We stop there. Gospel. Gospel. The one who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Oh, that name. Right? That's so powerful. There's one name under
2: heaven by which we are saved, and it's Jesus.
0: Law or gospel? Law. Law. Comforting to the believer, right? What saves me?
2: Mm. Damning to the unbeliever. My faith.
0: Yeah. Yep. Or the faith that the Lord has given me.
2: And, of course, the response to the world is,
0: how dare you? How dare <laughs> you? Yeah. So What's that's
2: her right? name? That's like, uh, we don't even talk about it. Greta Thunberg. There you go. We don't even talk about her anymore. Isn't that something? Again, this is what he did with Nicodemus right Nicodemus was offended and he comes out him strong and what's interesting what we'll see with because Nicodemus kind of fades out at this point is that he's, we, he's gone home he's laying in his bed yeah he's he's got the ice pack over his head and he's thinking, he's thinking holy I don't know I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for all this right? well
1: then he's thinking, I've got to teach tomorrow and I'm the worst one
2: ever um so I heard some stuff yesterday that made me a little shaky. Yeah, but but what what's what's interesting is, and and I think this is extra proof that he is the prototypical man, person, human, because we're going to see the same pattern with the woman at the well. She's going to try to confront or dodge with her questions, and Jesus is just going to be like, "Nope, nope, nope," and uh, the the crowd that comes to him uh, after he feeds them, they're going to come at him with all kinds of dodginess and 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 accusation. And he's gonna like, nope, nope, nope. Uh, the crowd at the feast of booths is gonna have all kinds of questions and and accusations. How 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 dare you, sir? And he's gonna say, well, I dare because this is the truth, and you need it mm. to live. And and this is the offense of God's word. This is the offense of law that tells us that your sin is not just a collection of foibles and and minor mistakes that everyone can live with. Your your sin is absolute cancer that is eating you from the inside out. And even more so it is an utter barrier between you and God and there's there's no penetrating that barrier on your own yes but if you insist on living in it judgment is upon you because you 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 refuse to believe in the one thing that could rescue you from from where you're at
0: so can unbelief fall under the word of condemnation and the answer is yes Yes, absolutely Yeah, yeah condemnation is of the law so unbelief is condemned by the law I think people make the mistake in thinking that because unbelief is condemned by the law, then belief itself is a human fulfillment of the law, which is not the case because it's it's so imperfect. It, it it's just not it. What fulfills it is the thing that it grasps onto, which is the only begotten Son of God. Nineteen, and this is the crisis or judgment that the light has come into the world and. The human beings loved rather the darkness than the light, for their works were evil. I love crisis, right? Because
2: Jesus creates a crisis in our life. Are you going to keep doing things the way you've always been doing them? Or are you going to let God be God? (laughs)
0: Right, and and it's the same thing that happens again. You know that we see in Matthew twenty five. Kreno in Greek is to separate. That's all it is. It's you know. So there's ju- we say judgment, but it's it's a separation. So in in the in the case of judgment, it's saying this is right, this is wrong. It's it's making a separation between the two. What happens in Matthew twenty five is a real cresis. You have a separation of the goats from the sheep. And so this is the separation that divides the entire world. Those who have been drawn to the light and those who haven't.
2: And that's, uh, that's why you can appreciate uh, Paul's word to Timothy, rightfully cut straight. <laughs> right. right? Uh, make the right division. Don't divide based on what your eyes see. Divide based on what your ears hear uh, on the confession of faith.
0: And a person who is listening to this who who might be an unbeliever and, and maybe some of the people listening to this have unbelieving family members there there's a really interesting thing that jesus says here why do people in the darkness enjoy the darkness more than the light and jesus give the answer it's because their works are evil
1: they've suppressed the truth in righteousness
0: right and they love their works and they don't want them to go away and the only word for them is the word of, of the hammering
2: law. We hear this as pastors all the time. Pastor, you can't tell me that this relationship is wrong. You can't tell me that the way we're living out this relationship is wrong. I'm going to run away from, from the church. I'm going to run away from God because I refuse to give up this work
0: of darkness. Yep. It's very sad. Absolutely. And, and, and even sadder is when otherwise faithful parents uh, to... Create a false peace, yeah. In their in their own house, um, you know, say a a son or daughter, you know, comes out of the closet, or a son or daughter um, shack's up with uh, you know member of the opposite sex, uh, and they hear the the teaching of scripture, which condemns that behavior. They don't want anything to do with it uh, because it, as you say, it it creates disharmony in the house.
1: In a terribly sad. That one would rather hold on to that work of darkness and forfeit their entire eternal destiny. Thank you for putting it that way. Yes. Like, really? That's worth it? I mean, to them in their fallenness, it is. Yeah. And this is what, I don't know, you know, everybody and their brother is inundated with Black Lives Matter. We see it everywhere now. And uh, we don't disagree with the words. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think any of our listeners do. Uh, but with the movement, we have serious, serious problems with what this movement is advocating. And, and anybody can look it up online at blacklivesmatter.com and you can see their their tenants. My problem is, it's not Black Lives Matter, it's not all lives matter, eternity matters. That, that's all that matters. And when I'm speaking of eternity, I'm talking about seeing the kingdom of God. I I just don't think most people think in terms of living in light of eternity, being sojourners in this world with the blessing as well as with the suffering, and just longing to be there. I don't know why we just white-knuckle this place
2: with these things. I think this is a very valuable insight that Jesus gives us too. Because when somebody comes to you and says, I don't believe in, in, in Christianity uh, because of it's, it doesn't make sense. I can't make sense of the Trinity and I reject that. I can't make sense of this, that. Or I, or I reject it because of, of the hypocrisy of the church. What Jesus is telling us right here is that person is not telling the truth. They're not telling it to themselves and they're not telling it to you. The, the reason that they're gone is because they love the darkness, and there is there is something that they love in this world so much that they would rather not have God telling them that it's not okay, and they flee from that uh, into the shadows. And I've seen it time and time again, and and then we come up with our we, we come up with our rationalizations later. And of course, we see that all the time. But you can't just take people at their words on these things. Oh, Pastor, you know I can't be a Christian anymore because Noah's Ark doesn't make any sense. No, that is not why you can't be a christian anymore right. you can, you can't be a Christian anymore because there's some sin in your life that you love so much that God's forgiveness is offensive to you
0: and it might even be the sin of rationalism against scripture right i mean yeah. we, we could we could even countenance that, yeah, um,
1: magisterial reason versus ministerial yeah. reason
2: yeah but but in most of my experience, even the people that come in real hard on that and that i mean that is its own
0: sin, of course, there's something else. I would agree with that in my experience as well.
1: Well, that's why I say they suppress the truth in righteousness. They're going to uh, try to doll up and put some sort of righteous veneer over top of this rotten wood, which is
0: their evil deeds. Doesn't it make you wonder about what's happening in the church right now? I just saw a headline. Um, I don't know, it must have been Barna or somebody, that only one-third of Christians have at this point returned to church. You know, fortunately, in our congregation, it's significantly higher than that. Well, I, I mean, not really. Uh, I, I guess all we can say is that our attendance is you know closer to two-thirds of what, what we normally have on a Sunday or a little bit better. But doesn't it seem like coronavirus is the Noah's Ark excuse, is the I-don't-get-the-Trinity excuse, whatever, that there's something else Going on, that there's a there's a darkness that's loved, and this is the presenting issue, uh, not coronavirus, but it's the excuse. Sure, even if it's just a despising of preaching in His Word. Right. I mean that that's 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 the sin you're saying. Right. Yeah. But
1: that's a but darkness. how many of our people would would call that darkness? How many people? How many of our people would? Or maybe not our people. How many people would say that that's an evil thing? Hey, I'm spending time with my wife. We're able to wake up and uh, have breakfast together. We can't do that any other day of the week. Uh, I'm able to read the newspaper. She's able to
0: knit. We go on a walk.
1: I mean, it all sounds so
0: it, and so it's hallmark, it, so and lovely. And I haven't given up on the Lord. I still know that the oh, Lord. I, you know, I still yeah.
1: say my prayers, Pastor. Right. Yeah. I Suppressing to this. the truth and righteousness. Yeah,
2: I listened to the sermon online and I'm like, I mean, in what, in what manner, right? Uh, worshipfully, <laughs> or is it just kind of on in the background? I mean, and, and we don't know, um, but, but I definitely know this difference, right? Um, I, I had a, a member who'd been unable to come to church for just logistical reasons. She's in a nursing home and she simply cannot leave. She's been calling the church almost weekly aching for word and sacrament. And, and telling us how much she aches for it. And so for her, I understand, like, this is not, you know, she's not making excuses, this is, right. this is paining her. But I, I wanna challenge the people listening to this, like, you should be aching for God's word and sacrament. And if you're sitting at home saying, well, look, I'd come, but man, it is not loving of my neighbor. I mean, Satan plays all kinds of judo with us. He turns our virtue against us all the time it is the most loving thing you can do for anyone is faithfully come and and recognize that we as pastors sitting at this table we we're, we're we're taking steps we're not just saying be reckless we're we're separating we're encouraging mass we're offering opportunities and and call us and say to us even what you're offering is making me a little leery and and like well what can we do <laughs> cuz believe me we want you to receive god's word and sacrament but if you're just sitting back like I can go a, a solid half a year without any of this. You are putting your soul in danger.
0: Absolutely. And I've told Pastor Kearns, and I don't want to dwell on this too much. We've talked about this as a time of winnowing. I think there's no question about it. I will be shocked if, we come, if this congregation comes out of, out of this with total membership reduced by, I will not be shocked. Did I say that it, with a total membership reduced by two sevenths, so from seven hundred to five hundred, and with an average Sunday attendance slashed uh, again by twenty to thirty percent? This is the creases. So, so in a, in a sense, we are living the creases right now.
2: But looking elsewhere, we have the wonderful promise of the remnant, right, and that God will bless that remnant, and and things will grow.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I hope yeah. that remnant can our salaries so oh. uh <laughs> but the creases uh is done for the benefit
0: of the church right that's that's what it's for the lord has his own right now shall we go on uh 20 for everybody who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light in order that his works not be reproved
1: well we just that's exactly what
2: we just got through
1: expounding upon good
0: good but this this does
2: stress the importance of confession absolution and especially uh, private confession absolution Um, uh, luther says i'm not exactly sure where he says it but we can't be fictional sinners Uh, you have to be a real sinner with real sins and I think it's pretty easy for most people on Sunday to say I'm a poor miserable sinner and kind of say well whatever that means but to come to your pastor and say I'm a poor miserable sinner and here are the sins that are weighing on my mind uh it this is that's that's letting these things come out into the light it's terrifying Mm -hmm. uh when you live in a cave the light is blinding and painful but it's still better (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's better than living in the dark Uh, and God's calling us to live in
0: that light yeah, that's such, I mean, that's such a good idea here. The, the idea that that you can be a fictional sinner is really a powerful um, preaching of the law, isn't it? Uh, you, can, you can even apply the law to yourself in such a way that it's entirely fictional. Sure. And it, And if you can't, you know, this is interesting, if you can't say... If you can't say from the heart why it is that you are a sinner and what sins you have committed that have destroyed reputations and lives and marriages and uh, your relationship with God, if you can't say that, you're a fictional sinner.
2: Yeah. And, th- and this is different than the enumeration of sins that the Catholic Church insists right. upon. It's just, it's just being really mindful that our sinfulness is played out in particular sin and recognizing that and, and and then seeing the damage of it. Mm-hmm. And then finally your repentance can't be like, your repentance isn't a generic repentance. It's a, it's repentance that says, man, I really need to do right here. Um, it's, it's, it's an imperfect example, but it, there's some value in like what they, when alcoholics in their steps, you actually have to go to the people you're wronged and talk to them, mm-hmm. which means you actually have to recognize the wrongs you've done, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And, and they got that from Christianity right they've they've kind of sucked some christianity out of it uh to make it more palatable to the world but they got that particular idea from christianity and even the church itself in in this modern day struggles with that mm-hmm. individual members are like i don't i don't want to be real particular about my sin
0: right that's that's a breakdown of the pastor uh parishioner relationship which is a sad thing it's been aided by cars and suburbia and all that kind of crap but verse 21 the one who does the truth comes to the light in order that his works may be manifested, that they have been worked in God. Gospel.
2: But maybe a little third use of the law, too. The manifestation of works.
0: What works are we talking about? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. This is the work of God, that you believe on him in whom he sent. And, yeah, and so our confession of faith.
1: Good. Well, that brings us to the end of the first half of chapter 3, where I think, are we all in agreement that we do not believe that Jesus is speaking, uh, verses 16 through 21?
2: It's too much in harmony in, in John's other So, So his uh, epistolary, um, yeah.
0: yeah, that's interesting.
2: Yeah. He's clearly connecting this to... What he's already said before, and then what he'll say at the very end, right? These things are written that you may believe, and by believing, you would have life in his name. I mean, yeah. this he's getting right at the heart of it. I,
0: I, I would lean uh 80 90 percent in that direction. Well, I'll take it. All right, so we'll <laughs> we'll pick
1: it up in verse 22 of chapter 3 next time. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to the or stjohnlcmstopeka.org.